The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. But the greatest in our history, uh, most important battle in our lives is taking place right now as we speak. For seven years, you and I have been engaged in an epic struggle to rescue our country from the people who hate it and want to absolutely destroy it. The sinister forces trying to kill America have done everything they can to stop me, to silence you, and to turn this nation into a socialist dumping ground for criminals, junkies, Marxists, thugs, radicals, and dangerous refugees that no other country wants. No other country wants them. If those opposing us succeed, our once beautiful USA will be a failed country that no one will even recognize a lawless, open borders, crime-ridden, filthy communist nightmare. That's what it's going, and that's where it's going. That's, uh, of course, Donald Trump from uh, CPAC over the weekend. I believe his speech was on uh, Saturday. Of course, they had all the conservative heavyweights over that three-day conference. And uh, I think they took the, uh, the straw poll there at the end. Trump way out in front. Way out in front, I saw another uh, clip, uh, a survey or a poll that said he was uh, up 60 percent to 20 over uh, Ron DeSantis, the next closest in line. And yet still, you have you have major media organizations, including Fox, quite a lot of the time that just pretend he doesn't exist and, and just go through the policies that he, he brought out in that speech. I think it was an hour and a half. This is what I'm going to do. It's not just seal the border now. It's deport these illegals. I mean, these are these are huge. <laughs> these are huge topics to discuss and, and, of course, to debate with respect to the solution. How could you ignore that that man, the most popular politician, if you can even call him a politician in the United States? <laughs> You're listening to Stephen Flurry. This is the Trumpet Daily we certainly appreciate you joining us again. You can get to our uh, live video stream of this show just by going to trumpetdaily.com. That'll take you right to the URL or rather the page where you can get to the stream. And then uh, also you can watch on demand if you go to that, that, that URL site or our website, of course, thetrumpet.com. Either one. Uh, you can get to these programs after the fact if you like or have them downloaded to your uh, devices as well, which uh, many of our listeners do. So we're back. We uh, had uh, four, I guess, four or five days of refreshment uh, out in the woods and not far from here, just a little ways beyond Wellston, Oklahoma. So, so still in the, the central uh, region of uh, the great state of Oklahoma. We had our annual college uh, camp out where we had so much fun and, and games, activities, a really nice facility that even had a gymnasium on the inside. It sort of doubled as the gym and the, uh, the dining hall. Uh, great kitchen facilities as well. So uh, we've been moving around the last few years and uh, perhaps, perhaps we'll go back to the original Robber's Cave, the campsite that uh, of course we get the annual event 
from or we take the name from. We call it Robbers Cave every year, even though we've gone to different campgrounds the last few years. I think our Edstone group is uh, is still off having fun today, and they're going to be returning to Edstone later on uh, this evening. But but there's Donald Trump talking about this dumping ground for radicals. And, of course, we've talked so much before about the communist, the communist infiltration uh, here in the United States of America. It's in our booklet. He was right. He was right. I'm going to get into that more, this, this communist spread that goes way back to the 1940s and 50s, at least with respect to Herbert Armstrong's forecast. We'll take you through some of that history and the alarm that he sounded. He was right there with Winston Churchill sounding the alarm in the days following, right after World War II ended. There was Churchill, and then there was Herbert Armstrong warning about the communist spread, this, this communist menace. Here are all these radicals, and of course the radicals in charge, they push it, they promote it. They're, they're all for violence and crime. There's this story out of Atlanta. This is just from yesterday. The local news, Channel 11 in Atlanta, reports this. Chaos erupted at the future site of, of the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center Sunday evening after nearly four, 150 protesters burned construction equipment and threw large rocks and Molotov cocktails at police, according to authorities. So here the police, they, they're coming under attack, and you don't have to read or study too far into this story to see that it was coordinated and planned in advance. It was pl they planned to attack this, this police facility down in Atlanta. And, and think about the radicals, again, in charge, who for two years, I think they made a shrine for Brian Sicknick there at the Capitol. Uh, the, the Capitol Hill police, they are to be worshipped. If it's a federal law agency, they are to be worshipped. But as for local law enforcement, I mean, you can tell by the lack of coverage on this story, you can tell what the communists in the media and in government actually think about law enforcement when they go silent on a story such as this. It says, Atlanta police said the group of violent agitators took advantage of peaceful protesters around 5.30 p.m. when they changed into all-black clothing and made an attack against police officers. So here, here they hijack a protest, as they usually do, and then they unleash this violence against law enforcement. You think Nancy Pelosi is going to be sponsoring any kind of shrine for these police officers that come under fire? It's happening all over the country. This is from the New York Post. It says, protesters hurled bricks and Molotov cocktails at cops and set vehicles on fire Sunday at the site of a future police training facility in Atlanta. This is just where they're hoping to train the police. And you've got these Black Lives Matter thugs, or Antifa, or both. They're wanting to destroy the facility. They don't want to see law enforcement trained properly. No, they don't want law enforcement. They should be defunded. It says here, uh, the 90 million Atlanta Public Safety Training Center, dubbed Cop City, was besieged by a group of vandals using the cover of a peaceful protest. Sounds a lot like the summer of 2020. Remember, remember when the police were coming under fire then? And the media thought it was a good thing. 
and, and the politicians in the Uniparty, they thought it was a good thing. Well, we've got to stir up some violence to make a statement that the police need to be defunded. The police need to be handcuffed. We've been talking about this for years at the Trumpet. This one goes back to 2016. It's, uh, it's in the 2016, May-June 2016 Trumpet. Uh, and my father said this, at the same time, the federal government is undermining law enforcement, local law enforcement, and stripping it of power in an effort to centralize policing power on the federal level. So even as they expand their policing power at the federal level, think DOJ, FBI, Capitol Hill Police, they're undermining the local law enforcement agencies that operate independent of the government, you see. That's why, they, that's why the communists want to defund those local agencies. And, and, of course, this is why the crime statistics are skyrocketing in America's big cities. They changed into black clothing, it says, and entered the construction area and began to throw large rocks, bricks, Molotov cocktails, and fireworks at police officers. Multiple law enforcement agencies responded and arrested 35 people. Well, at least they, they were arrested this time around. We'll see how long, well, we probably won't see how long they remain in jail in any event. In Great Again, this is our booklet. Again, if you don't have uh, any of these, uh, these, these booklets, he was right, great again. I mentioned the Trumpet article from 2016. The Trumpet gives you tomorrow's news today. Call our operators and request your free copy. It's 1-866-930-3024 if you'd like to become a Trumpet subscriber or request the booklet. Great again. It says here in Great Again, the nation's police are being undermined in ways that will prove devastating to our cities in particular. Police are pulling back from doing their jobs for fear of attack. You had footage just last night of these police officers hurriedly pulling the gate shut as these protesters, as these agitators, as, as these domestic terrorists were throwing Molotov cocktails at them. Is anybody watching this at MSNBC or CNN? says here, the federal government under Mr. Obama fueled police people's mistrust of the, their local police forces, playing up the seriousness of these problems. One reason was that his administration was positioning itself to step in and solve them while taking more power to itself. See, you look at what's happening in Atlanta, as you see there on the screen. They don't care about this. They don't care when the local law enforcement comes under fire. It's just, it's just when Brian Sicknick dies of a, of a stroke the day after January 6th, the protests on January 6th. Then we'll, we'll create this shrine in the Capitol, and we'll try to tell you that we really care about law enforcement. These people are, are exposed. Listen to this commentator. She, she writes for The Atlantic. She's on with MSNBC this morning talking about the, the domestic threats that we really ought to be concerned about. This is clip 10. But when you look at what's happening, it really is extremist right-wing violence that scholars who look at this most closely are most worried about. 
And so it's not an, it's sort of that it's equal on all sides. And there is also, uh, you know, a, a phenomenon that's new to this era, which is very troubling. And that's that you've had a, a powerful mainstream party in the Republican Party really inciting and endorsing, including among the then sitting president in Donald Trump, this kind of violence. And, and you saw that this weekend in, in his remarks at CPAC. Um, and so the the idea that a powerful party is is sort of cheering on this violence is different and dangerous. Nothing, of course, there about seeing, or rather Atlanta, what's happened in Atlanta just last night. And she brings up the usual talking points. January 6th, uh, Gretchen Widmer's kidnapping. Both of these plots brought to you by the FBI. And because that and then the, C, the CPAC speech. Donald Trump, Jan 6, and the kidnapping plot. And, of course, Jan 6 and the kidnapping plot, those were incited by and, and coordinated by, organized by the FBI. The federal law enforcement agency, the FBI. And so they're there giving you the talking points, the, the real danger. The real, it's not the crime in the streets. It's not that local law enforcement has come under fire. The real danger is coming from Donald Trump at CPAC. That's right. Here's a bit more from what Donald Trump had to say on Saturday, clip three. I used to say that we will never be a socialist country. I said it oftentimes. I said it once at the State of the Union address, and people didn't understand what I was saying. But I'd shout it out loud, and I was right, because that train has passed the station long ago of socialism. It never even came close to stopping, frankly. We're now in a Marxism state of mind, a communism state of mind, which is far worse. We're a nation in decline. Our enemies are desperate to stop us because they know that we are the only ones who can stop them. And so he's right. They're desperate to stop him. He's the, one, the only one that can stop or at least slow this communist infiltration, this communist takeover. Of course, from a biblical prophecy st standpoint, we're talking about 2 Kings 14, God intervening and saving America by the hand of, uh, of Jeroboam. But listen to him and some, quite a few other commentators now talking about what Herbert Armstrong was speaking of back in the 1940s and 50s. He was right. He was right. If you don't have this, of course, we, we talk about it in the more recent uh, publication, America Under Attack, in, in great detail. But this one, the thing about He Was Right is it takes you back to what Herbert Armstrong was forecasting decades ago, uh, well over a half century ago. And it was spot on, that forecast. Uh, again, if you don't have these publications, call that number on your screen there, one 930 From great again. My father wrote, the president had, here's some more truth. The president had federal staff moving into cities and taking over police departments in order to straighten them out. The federal government was grabbing more and more control. It had a stranglehold on the police. The Obama administration seemed to view each new prominent race-related police story that exploded into the news as an opportunity to seize more control. I mean, this was written years ago. This was what Obama was doing all through his first and second term. Just jump, like I said last week, just jumping on any, anything race-related and using it 
to stir up more division and strife and using it to undermine local law enforcement, even as he was expanding the power of these federal agencies. And that continues to this day. And Donald Trump, as he said on Saturday, he's the only one that can stop them. That's why they want to destroy him. That's why the more he gains in the polls, the more they want to put him in prison, the more they're coming up with some, some other sham investigation to try to take him out. Listen again to Donald Trump from Saturday, clip eight. Our enemies are lunatics and maniacs. They cannot stand that they do not own me. I don't need them. I don't need anything about them. I don't need their money. They cannot steer me. They cannot shake me. And they will never, ever control me. And they will never, ever, therefore, control you. At the end of the day, anyone else will be intimidated, bought off, blackmailed, or ripped to shreds. I alone will never retreat, and that is why we must stand together and we charge. We have to charge full speed ahead. We have to go on the offensive. He's speaking there in a, with a packed house, as you can see. He tweeted out this picture from, uh, I think it was Nikki Haley's speech, with most of the room completely empty, just a few front row <laughs> seats taken. <laughs> And all these people lining up because the Uniparty says so. You've got to get behind. You've got to get behind the movement to you know, to get Trump out of the way. I mean, we need someone who's younger and, and who appeals to more people. The minority. I mean, here Trump, he's winning these polls, you know, with a, a majority of Hispanic vote. All of them, young people, old people. Imagine ignoring someone as significant as that, or trying to. It's, it's not possible, really. But they, they try. They try, the talking heads. They're all, they're all one and the same, aren't they? They're all part of the, the uniparty. They're, they're all motivated by money and power, and that's it. And then the one guy that's not beholden to any of them, he's, he can't be paid off. He, he's, not, he's not looking to the media. I mean, he didn't, as Trump pointed out over the weekend, he didn't, even, he didn't even have Fox's support in 2020, and, and he got 75 million votes, which was, what, what was it, 9, 10 million more than the previous election. He, he won going away, no problem. Of course, they stole it. Biden, they created all these fake ballots for the fake president. But think about the, the increasing momentum all through his first term when he was being attacked viciously, nonstop, and gaining in popularity as he went. Listen to, again to Saturday's speech, clip nine. We're not a free nation right now. We don't have free press. We don't have free anything. In 2016, I declared, I am your voice. Today, I add, I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. Not going to let this happen. Not going to let it happen. I will totally obliterate the deep state. <laughs> and he talked about how that he knows. He knows who's who this time around. He knows who the he knows where the patriots are and he knows which ones are fighting. 
against the Constitution, fighting against freedom and liberty. I will destroy, he said, destroy or obliterate the, the deep state. You know, when you listen to him speak and then you see all the others, you see just what a crisis we're in. I mean, prophetically, we understand that, obviously. But, but also just the crisis in leadership, like Isaiah 3 speaks of. And, and God saying, in the last days, I'm just going to take away the true leaders, the, the real patriots, the strong warriors, the eloquent orators. I'll read a bit to you. Isaiah 3 and verse 1, it says, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, does take away from Jerusalem or from Israel, the Israelite nations of the United States and Britain in particular. If you don't have that as sort of your, your foundational study on Bible prophecy, I'm speaking of the U.S. and Britain in prophecy. Make sure that you call our operators and get your free copy of Herbert Armstrong's classic work on Bible prophecy. Where do we fit in? The United States and Britain. Well, we're the, the modern-day nations of Israel, those tribes of Israel that went missing. That went missing, but Herbert Armstrong reveals in the U.S. and Britain in prophecy where they are today. Verse 2 says, I'll take away the mighty man, the man of war, the judge, and the prophet, and the prudent, and the ancient, and the captain of fifty, and the honorable man, and the counselor, and the cunning artificer, and the eloquent orator. God says, I'm just going to take them all away. Honorable men, honorable leaders, and even the ones of honor in history, they, they come under vicious attack. People like Winston Churchill as the modern historians, revise the history. Verse 4 says, And I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. This is from our booklet, Winston S. Churchill, the Watchman. My father says here, We are so childish that we are almost totally unaware of our lack of real leaders. We fail to see it as a curse from God. No great nation can survive without strong leadership. Childish leaders lack the will to face strong tyrants. I mean, really, there's who, who is there among all of these, these politicians that are willing to attack the tyrants, that are willing to go on the offensive? You can only think of one, right? You just heard from him. We're going to go on offense. We're going to destroy. We're going to obliterate this deep state. Nobody else speaks like this. There's no one else like that in Washington, D.C., they're all lining up to try to take down the bad orange man, but look at the, again, look at the arenas that they're speaking in. Look at the lack of people that are there to actually see the speech. Tucker Carlson, he had a discussion, I think it was with Adam Carolla, on, uh, on his show Friday night. They were talking about the dearth of leadership in our nation today. This is clip six. It does seem like the standards for leadership have been inverted, like the craziest person, the least competent person, the most obviously unqualified person becomes the leader of everybody else. All the people you just mentioned, and we'll throw in Biden, we'll throw in Kamala Harris as well. Would you hire them to coach your small town high school football team? 
And if the answer is no, if you like you literally start laughing, right? If they cannot raise to that level, then maybe they shouldn't be running the government. But I think they're running the government because of their deficiencies. So if you just took a cross-section of 10,000 people from the phone book, assuming phone books still exist, which they don't, but it's a cross-section of the population, you would get some high aptitude people, some low aptitude people. This is not a representative sample. Like the U.S. Senate, for example, the White House, it's disproportionately stupid and crazy. Like we're selecting bad people on purpose. It does dovetail nicely into the sort of intersectionality and all the woke stuff and all the affirmative action hires. But could it go any other way? I mean, if your criteria for hiring a football coach was we need the gayest, we need the darkest, we need the ones who cross-dress and transgender, how would that football team's record be at the end of three years of playing? I mean... How else could this go? And here again, it's, it's prophesied. That's the thing. We just read those two verses, Isaiah 3, verses 2 and 3. God taking all the leadership away. And you don't want to skip over verse 1. Because verse 1 talks about the nation falling apart at the same time that these leaders are taken away. Now, it's not just the fault of the leaders. If you back up to Isaiah 1, you see that the sickness runs from head, the, the leadership, from head to toe, everywhere in the country. We're just, we're just drenched in sin. And we're reaping what we've sown, cause and effect. Verse 5, it says, this is Isaiah 3. Is, uh, well, let me just quote this. I kind of said it already, but uh, to give you the quote from the Churchill booklet. It says, notice the nation is falling apart at the same time that we have this dearth in, in leadership, as I say. There isn't even enough bread and water for the people. This is where weak leaders take us. It can only end in the worst possible calamity. There is cause and effect. And what a terrifying price to pay for following the wrong leaders. As Donald Trump said over the weekend, I mean, we have to go on offense. If we lose this battle, we lose the country. That's, that's true. That's what's at stake here. But the thing of it is, Donald Trump's not going to save the country. It's just going to be a temporary resurgence, as we've said so many times before. You look at even 2 Kings 14 from a historical standpoint and the resurgence under Jeroboam II, but then what happened soon after that? I mean, the nation went into captivity. This is what we're staring at. Verse 5, it says, And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. It says, The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient, and the base against the honorable. This is uh, our world today. The, the nation oppressed. I mean, you're just going to see violence and corruption. You're going to see law enforcement coming under fire. Sickness, top to bottom. Verse, verse 6 says, When a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, saying, You have clothing, be you our ruler, and let this ruin be on your hand. People are going to be running around looking. It's going to get so bad, they're just going to be looking for any, anyone and everyone to try to solve the problems. But there is no solution in man, is there? That's why God says, Don't put your trust in man. You can read about that in Jeremiah 17. He says you're coming under a curse if you put your faith and your trust 
in men. As I say, this prophecy, Isaiah 3, it's, it's aimed specifically. I mean, you can see it going beyond the borders of the U.S. and Britain, but in, in the United States and Britain in particular, you see this, this prophecy fulfilled. Where are the honorable men? Where are the strong leaders, the strong military men of old? You just don't see them. The, the Daily Telegraph has a big reveal over in the UK at the moment. Lots of these messages from the, the previous health inspector guru, or he headed up the health department of the UK government, Matt Hancock. And there's all these WhatsApp messages from him talking behind the scenes during peak COVID. And what they prove essentially is it was a total scam. It was a total scam. This is from the Telegraph. Leaked WhatsApp messages reveal how health secretary hoped to shock public into complying with ever-changing lockdown rules. He, he hoped to shock the public? Is this for real? It is. It is. I mean, you see some of these leaked messages on Twitter at first and think, this has to be a hoax. It has to be fake. But no, no, the Telegraph has looked through 100,000 messages. They've got more revelations to come. It's just, like, it's just like the video footage from January. I mean, when you actually get to see it, when you actually observe it, when you see what they say behind the scenes, and we've seen already some of that uh, with Fauci's emails and such. It's the same with uh, the U.K., Throughout the course of the pandemic, officials and ministers wrestled with how to ensure the public complied with ever-changing lockdown restrictions. One weapon in their arsenal was fear. Surprise. I mean, you know this. <laughs> you, we heard and saw the fear-mongering every day. The ticker's on CNN. This is how many people are dying. You better get in the basement. Now we know. Now we get some insight into what they were actually saying or texting. We frighten the pants off everyone, Matt Hancock suggested during the one WhatsApp message with his media advisor. He said to his media advisor, we frighten the pants off everyone. That's a direct quote. How is this guy not run out of the country with these revelations? says here, the then health secretary was not alone in his desire to scare the public into compliance. The WhatsApp messages seen by the Telegraph show how several members of Mr. Hancock's team engaged in a kind of project fear in which they spoke of how to utilize fear and guilt to make people obey lockdowns. In a WhatsApp group called MH. Uh, top team that involved a number of advisors and civil servants. The group agreed to scrap the surveillance data watch list. This is further on in the article because no such local interventions were being planned. In a conversation with a civil servant, uh, uh, Hancock's media advisor said that uh, failing to publish the data can be turned to their advantage because it, quote, helps the narrative that things are really bad. See, they were really trying to help the narrative. Things are, are bad. You should be terrified. You should be afraid. <laughs> Boris Johnson, then the prime minister, had promised that families would be reunited at Christmas, the first since the pandemic struck in early 2020. He said foregoing long-awaited reunions would be inhuman and against the instincts of many people in, his, in this country. But see, all the health advisors, they disagreed with Johnson's position there. 
So they had to try to scare people through the holidays at the end of 2020 on into January. The solution in December was to, fr quote, frighten the pants off everyone with a declaration of a new strain of COVID-19. Later on in this article, listen to this. It says, the pair discussed a withering leader in the mail on Sunday before Mr. Hancock seemingly expressed a worry that bad news on the new variant might be knocked off the top of the agenda by wrangles over Brexit. It says here that led them into a discussion about when to, quote, deploy the new variant. W when should we deploy the new variant? W when should we unleash a new weapon and make sure that we have control of what's above the fold of the newspapers? That's the UK health secretary there in late 2020. They're in his, his words. They're quotes from him. And then you listen to him go on TV, very in, sounding like very serious and sobering tones because he's concerned about your health. Listen to Hancock from early January in 2021, together with the BBC's reaction to Hancock, clip one. We have identified a new variant of coronavirus, which may be associated with the fastest spread in the southeast of England. Initial analysis suggests that this variant is growing faster than the existing variants. We've currently identified over a thousand cases with this variant, predominantly in the south of England, although cases have been identified in nearly 60 different local authority areas, and numbers are increasing rapidly. Because when the virus is growing exponentially, there is not a moment to spare. The Health Secretary has told MPs that London and parts of Essex and Hertfordshire will move into England's highest tier of COVID restrictions on Wednesday. Under the Tier 3 rules, shops can stay open, but bars, pubs, cafes and restaurants must stay closed, except for delivery and takeaway. Indoor entertainment venues such as bowling alleys, theatres and cinemas will shut. You can't mix indoors in private gardens or in most outdoor <laughs> venues, except with your household or bubble. It was Hancock, or rather Hancock and his friends, that, that said that, um, that, you know, we want these businesses to close. We, we really want to shut down the economy. We want to keep people trapped inside their homes. I mean, it's just insane that these were the leaders guiding Israel through this pandemic. They wanted more power. They wanted to extend lockdowns. And then, of course, the same spirit just carried on into the vaccine era as well. And that was, of course, emerging right about this same time, December of 2020, January 2021. You've got to get the vaccine. That's, that's the leaders of Israel. I noticed just today or yesterday they're not going to let jo uh, Djokovic into the United States for the U.S. Open because he hasn't gotten the vaccine. This is Joe Obama. I mean, that's now old news in Australia. They, they invited him for the Australian Open back in January. But for the U.S. Open, isn't that like in August of this year? So even four months from now, they've told Djokovic, you can't come in. You can't come in. Djokovic, as we've covered before, he's more of a leader than any of these leaders in power. Clearly. He's got more ability, more leadership ability than any of these talking heads you see on TV because he's, he's a man of principle. 
Again, when, when God says in Isaiah 3, verses 1 through 3, I'm just going to take away the eloquent leaders, the teachers, the prophets, the honorable men, the, the mighty warriors. He, I mean, that has happened. And notice it's God who's taken this action. It's God who's taken them away. This Daily Telegraph piece, that led, to, that led them into a discussion about when to, quote, deploy the new variant, although Mr. Hancock was seemingly wary that it could have led to closing schools. So he had some, a little bit of reservation because of the school closing. But hey, pubs, the stores, all those things, close them down. Close them down. It says here in January 2021, Britain is in a third national lockdown with schools shut and people told to work from home. Three lockdowns. It continued on into 2021 because of the new variants, you see. And they were, they were discussing behind the scenes when to deploy that new variant and, and, and how to make sure they got the, the headlines that they needed to keep people scared, to continue on with the scaremongering. Well, as I say, the sins, the sickness, it goes from top to bottom. And you look at what, speaking of the bottom, you look at what the educational system is producing. Herbert Armstrong used to say, I mean, what our society is, is determined by the educational system that we have. What the schools turn out, right? I don't think I got to this story last week. It was in my notes. But it's from the, the Western Journal. Project Baltimore reported that among 2,000 students spread across 23 Baltimore City schools, not a single one tested proficient in math during the 2021-22 school year. Not a single one. They checked 23 districts in the Baltimore schools area. Not one. The Baltimore school system spends about $21,000 per student. This is how much funding they get. Taxpayer dollars. $21,000 per student, and not, not a single one tested proficient in math. That's Baltimore. This is from Chicago, Fox News. Parents nationwide are still battling the impact of stringent school closures and lockdowns during COVID-19 pandemic, and Chicago families are no exception. An alarming report has revealed that dozens of Chicago schools claim no students are proficient in either math or reading or reading. And Chicago gets nearly double the national average per student. 29,000 per student. And they can't read. And they can't do arithmetic or math. What are these people going to be like as adults? These children. And you notice there, Fox News, it ties it into the pandemic. It's just all been made worse because of people like Matt Hancock who wanted to deploy new variants to keep those businesses shut down, to keep those schools closed. These are Israel's leaders today. And as my father said, what was that uh, Winston Churchill quote? He says here, It'll, it, it can only end in the worst possible calamity. There's, ca there's cause and effect. What a terrifying price to pay for following the wrong leaders. 
If you don't have that Churchill booklet, make sure you call our operators and secure your very own copy. There's no cost, no obligation. Just dial toll-free in the U.S., Canada, and the Caribbean, 1-866-930-3024. You're listening to Stephen Fleury, and this is the Trumpet Daily. And when we return, we'll finish today's show with our Bible study segment. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. Freedom is one of the most sought-after ideals in human history. Man's search for freedom has taken him into the fiercest of protests, struggles, revolutions, civil wars, and even world wars. Today, in the midst of free societies, many continue to fight for what they perceive as ever greater freedoms. And yet, many of these same people are actively fighting against law. Few people understand that this war against law actually undermines true freedom. To learn more, request Gerald Flurry's booklet, No Freedom Without Law. In this free booklet, you will see what the Bible says about the latter-day spirit of rebellion and lawlessness that is now so common in our nations today. Also request America Under Attack. In this booklet, you will learn more about the spirit behind this attack on law. You'll see where this is leading. Both booklets are offered freely at no cost or obligation to you. Request No Freedom Without Law and America Under Attack. Email your request to td at kpcg.fm or visit thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. Last uh, week, before we headed off for the uh, college campout, I uh, spoke to you about Winston Churchill, the painter. This was uh, one of his hobbies, one of the ones that he acquired very late in life. He was into his 40s by the time he took it up. But he, uh, he writes here, to be really happy and really safe, one ought to have at least two or three hobbies, and they must all be real they must be real hobbies. In other words, good quality hobbies, hobbies that are uplifting and educational, hobbies that are informative, not just time-wasting, uh, surfing the Internet. Of course, they didn't have the Internet back then, but I'm sure we, we certainly know that people just consumed all kinds of entertainment in Churchill's day. It's, it's a lot worse today, for sure. But he really, he, he took up, a hobby, and he really enjoyed it, and it helped to just bring happiness and joy into his life. And he spoke a couple of times, and he had some low points politically. I mean, people write about the wilderness years in the 1930s when he was a political outcast. You go back to the Dardanelles from whatever, 1915 or 16, I think it was, and he's run out of office, basically. Uh, another low point in his career. But how did he keep such high spirits? I mentioned on that program before the break how that he, he just, you know, a lot of historians, they make a big deal out of him saying he's struggling with his black dog. Oh, well, Churchill must have been depressed. He, look at all these setbacks. How could he not be depressed? Well, he was human, and we all have low points here and there. But really what kept him going was the fact that he was so positive and hopeful. 
was the fact that he was such a, an honorable man. Was the fact that he wanted to help his country. He, he really believed in a higher cause than just the selfish, you know, the selfish desires from within. It was, it was something like painting and other hobbies that he had, the voracious appetite for reading and study his love of the English language. I mean, look at this man. He's everything that God said in Isaiah 3 that he'd take away. He painted in bold, beautiful colors. That's what he loved. And you go and visit his studio, most of his paintings, I mean, they're spread all over the earth. Some of them have sold for more than millions or more than a million. I had some of those stats in a previous lecture of mine. Some are not as expensive, but, uh, but a lot of them are in his, his uh, studio there at Chartwell, which is like a museum, a Churchill Museum in so many ways. And you walk into that studio and you see the bold, beautiful colors, and he mostly painted landscapes. He loved God's creation. This is from William Nicholson, who visited Chartwell to try to help him um, learn the art of painting. As I said, he took it up later in life. Nicholson had been trying to demonstrate how, or this is someone writing about Nicholson, he had been trying to demonstrate how Churchill should venture into the more delicate and subtle colors on his palette. Churchill, a man knowing what he liked, chose to ignore this guidance and has painted, has painted an identical scene using the very brightest greens he could create. He, he didn't want to use brown. He wanted green and, and bold, beautiful colors, blue. That's the way he painted. One, one person who walked into his studio at Chartwell said, it's like walking into a kaleidoscope. This is what he loved, the bold, beautiful colors. He said in that uh, essay I mentioned on Wednesday's show, Painting as a Pastime, he wrote, just to paint is great fun. The colors are lovely to look at and delicious to squeeze out. Matching them, however crudely, with what you see is fascinating and absolutely absorbing. Try it if you have not done it before. Try it before you die, he says. <laughs> that's, that's Churchill writing in 1921. Some good encouragement. Just try it. Give it a try. I made this point again on the, that last show. If you want to learn how to paint or learn how to write, well, then just start doing it. Another quote from that, uh, that essay I cannot pretend to be impartial about the colors. I rejoice with the brilliant ones, and I am genuinely sorry for the poor browns. <laughs> I feel sorry for brown, but boy, I sure love the bold, beautiful ones. I love the bold, beautiful colors. Now, when you look at the Bible, when you see how God communicates with us, I mean, he really is trying to paint a bold, beautiful picture that will really be striking, that will stay with us whether it's to learn from the sins of our forefathers or whether it's to, you know, really emulate the perfection of Jesus Christ. You, you can hardly read a Bible passage without an image coming into your mind. God says to follow in the steps, the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Now, Christ today is invisible, but we're following his steps. We're following his example with respect to Israel today, the prophet Isaiah, he said this in Isaiah 1 and verse 18, though your sins be as scarlet, that's, that's dark red, 
scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. Then when God cleans us up, it's going to be going from scarlet to, to bright white. White as snow. It says, though they be red like crim crimson, they shall be as wool. As I say, you can't really read through too many passages of the, passages of the Bible without seeing images. Think about the four horsemen of the apocalypse in, uh, in Revelation 6 and all the differing colors there. Think about the multicolored rainbow following the days of the flood in Noah's day. My father has talked often before about that proverb where it says we need to be people of vision. We need to see what God sees. And, of course, Paul taught us in Romans 1 that there's a lot that we can learn about God just by looking around at our beautiful creation, God's creation, I should say. This, this beautiful earth that, that, of course, man is destroying in so many ways and polluting in every respect. But still, there are little pockets. <laughs> in some ways, there's large pockets of beauty, of beauty, just like we saw in central Oklahoma over the weekend. I've made this point before, just on the trip I took last summer to see Celtic Throne, driving through Kansas, through Nebraska, up to South Dakota, and how much beauty and space, and again, a lot of it's raw, it's not like it's being taken care of, even some of the, the, the national parks, uh, I guess what's in these days is just let everything grow wildly, and don't prune, don't cut back, don't do anything. If God were in charge of these parks, there'd be, there'd be huge crews pruning the trees. He told Adam and Eve in the very beginning, dress and keep the garden. You know, keep it. Look, I'll give you this beautiful prototype, but now you make sure that you dress it and you keep it yourself. Don't let it just turn into an overgrown, you know, weed fest. Romans 1, just verse 20, I think it was. Well, I don't have it actually in my notes. I guess I can skip. Here it is. Romans 1 and verse 20 in the RSV. It says, Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, this is speaking of God, has been clearly perceived in the things that he made. So they are without excuse. You can see God in the things that he's made. And every year we go through the beautiful seasons, and it's right around this time of year where things begin to, <laughs> to blossom. We saw it as we were leaving this camp out just yesterday. Silver leaf maples, you can see it around Washington, D.C. with the, uh, the cherry blossoms, apple blossoms, I think it is. That's around April, I believe. But a beautiful time of year when, when colors Start popping up everywhere. Beautiful, bright, bold colors. God's reminding us with each of these passing seasons that he's our maker. He's our creator. He designed it. John 4 and verse 35, it says, Say ye not, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say, lift, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Consider the fields. Consider the blossoms, it says, for they're white already to harvest. Beautiful colors in that image. A definite image that springs into your mind that you can see. God is a painter. God wants us to be men and women of vision. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, 
And the firmament shows his handiwork. It's not just here on earth that we see God's fingerprints. We can look up into the heavens and see it as well. That's why, that's why Christ says, lift up your eyes and see. Lift up your eyes and consider. This is a, a quote from a guy who works at the National Churchill Museum in Missouri. He's commenting on Churchill's paintings. His paintings come from the same place as his writing, his brilliant mind, his vision, his power of observation informed him as a statesman, a writer, a reader, and as a painter. You can see why he said, he said Churchill did, I mean. He said, take up you know, good hobbies, productive hobbies, fruitful hobbies, hobbies that really do help your, your thinking, help your mind. Proverbs 29.18 is the, the verse I mentioned earlier. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keeps the law, happy is he. God wants us to be men and women of vision. He wants us to peer into the future, to see what's coming. The wonderful world tomorrow. Think of that book and what it will be like. Mr. Armstrong wrote an entire book on the subject of tomorrow's world. He could see it. It's described in the Bible. In, in big, bold, beautiful colors. It certainly is. The desert's going to blossom like a rose, said Isaiah the prophet. We're going to see roses springing to life in the desert. Back to Churchill, his essay from 1921. He said, I found myself instinctively as I walked, noting the tint and character of a leaf, the dreamy purple shades of mountains, the exquisite lacery of, of winter br uh, branches, the dim, pale silhouettes of far horizons, and I had lived for over 40 years without ever noticing any of them except in a general way, as one might look at a crowd and say, what a lot of people. Painting, you see, allowed for him to really zoom in on the beautiful detail. And this is what God wants for us to do in our Bible study, to really dig into the truth of God, to really zoom in on the detail. Churchill said, I think this heightened sense of observation of nature is one of the chief delights that I have come, or rather that have come to me through trying to paint. I expect that nothing will make one observe more quickly or more thoroughly than having to face the difficulty of representing the thing observed. <laughs> he liked the exercise of looking at something and then going away and trying to paint what he remembered. I mean, that really... That really heightens your sense of focus as you observe that beautiful scene so that you can represent it accurately in what you paint. As they say, lots of lessons to take away from this, this one example when you look at it spiritually in particular. You're listening to Stephen Fleury, and this is the Trumpet Daily. That's all that we have time for today. We certainly appreciate you joining us for today's show, and we'll see you again tomorrow.